Hi, I'm Josh Beanlands. And I'm Nicole Halseth. This is Policy Talks. Welcome to Policy Talks, a show diving into all things related to policy analysis and international affairs. I'm joined by my co-host this week, Nicole. Nicole, how you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Josh. How are you? <sighs> I'm doing pretty good. The weather's been kind of crummy lately, but I think it's going to turn around. Uh, I think so, too, and I'm actually really excited to get the show started today, so I'm looking forward to this. Let's do it. Yeah. Britain has long been known to punch above its weight when it comes to global influence. They give us bands like The Beatles, Led Zeppelin, and Rolling Stones. However, they've also given us bands like Wham! and One Direction. Recently, significant tension has arisen between Britain and the European Union as it seriously considers leaving the EU. Brexit has observers in a tizzy. We are approaching one of the biggest decisions this country will face in our lifetimes, whether to remain in a reformed European Union or to leave. The choice goes to the heart of the kind of country we want to be and the future that we want for our children. This is about how we trade with neighboring countries to create jobs, prosperity, and financial security for our families. That was a short clip from the BBC with British Prime Minister David Cameron announcing the imminent referendum. This episode is all about the UK's referendum on whether or not to remain a member of the EU. In February of this year, David Cameron announced that a referendum would be held on this important question. Its official name is United Kingdom European Union Membership Referendum 2016, but it's more commonly referred to as Brexit. Despite its cutesy punny name, Brexit is serious business. Since the announcement of the referendum, Cameron's found himself in a bit of a pickle. Cameron was originally a supporter of the Brexit, but has changed his stance in the belief that Brexit will destabilize European peace. On June 23rd, Britons will answer the question that could affect the United Kingdom and the European Union in very practical as well as symbolic ways. The UK has maintained close relationships with European countries for decades, but now runs the risk of alienating its closest allies. The UK wasn't first to join the European club, and it never adopted the euro as its currency, but it did join the European Economic Community in 1973. The EEC, a precursor to the EU, was created to establish a common European market. From the beginning, the UK has been cautious about integrating too heavily with Europe. Only two years after joining the European Economic Community, the UK held a referendum on its EEC membership. The results of the referendum weren't exactly what you'd call close, as two-thirds of the voters wanted to stay in the EEC. But it's not 1975 anymore, and both the UK and the EU have changed significantly over the past 40 years. In 1975, there were nine members of the EEC. When you compare that number to today, the EU has 28 members, with countries like Serbia and Turkey clamoring to join. The whole world has changed, including the political landscape of both the UK and Europe in general. The Brexit referendum question is deceptively straightforward. The exact wording is, should the United Kingdom remain a member of the European Union or leave the European Union? It sounds simple enough, but the potential consequences of either outcome are much less clear. That's for sure. There will no doubt be economic, political, and social consequences if the UK leaves the EU, but a decisive remain vote would be symbolically significant. 
Two camps have emerged, each claiming to present the best interest to the British people. Of Team Team Leave's prominent supporters include former London Mayor Boris Johnson. Team Remain is supported by most members of the sitting government, including, of course, the British Prime Minister. Both sides have a lot to contend with in order to win over the public opinion. Brexit brings questions of UK security, prosperity, and identity to the fore. Beyond UK borders, if the Leave campaign wins, it raises a host of other questions. How will the UK's relations with the EU be affected? Will trade increase with other non-EU countries like Canada? Could the UK withdrawal start a trend, encouraging other members to leave? We're lucky to have an EU scholar in the studio with us here today to help us unpack and discuss this issue. David Long is a professor of international affairs in the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Professor Long has published widely on the history of international relations theory, as well as on the European Union and transatlantic relations. His current research interests include the EU and the EU foreign policy and security policy, and also the development of the EU's policy on outer space. That's out of this world. I think it's pretty safe to say that he's a stellar guy. Welcome, Professor Long. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you. Um, okay, so I think we'll just start off with a very simple question, but the, I feel like the one that needs to be asked. Why is this referendum happening now? And what do you believe are the main driving forces behind Brexit? Well, what Cameron said in the clip you played is pretty much the basic answer to that question. That is to say, there was a campaign commitment on behalf of the Conservatives who just won the, uh, the general election uh, with a majority. And they'd said they were going to hold a, a, a referendum on membership. Um, Cameron attempted to negotiate better, <coughs> better uh, a position for the UK, but um, nevertheless, um, his party is split. And in fact, the country's been split for a long time about whether uh, membership is a good thing. So uh, to be honest, I think this is something that uh, with a conservative election was almost inevitable. Having said that, um, I think Cameron... Um, Hmm. He's a prime minister of Britain who will go down in history, I think, as somebody who's um, pushed referenda that have um, blown up in his face. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it for sure, yeah. Yeah. So do you think the referendum is coming from the people or from an elite few who are now instrumentalizing patriotism and punctual risks to the UK's prosperity and security? Well, that's a tricky one, right? Because mm -hmm. what I've just said, um, uh, Cameron was in a way painted into a corner. He didn't have much choice because it was a campaign commitment. His party, um, there's a lot of people. I mean, he's leading the mm -hmm. Remain camp, but there's a bunch of people, Boris Johnson, who may well replace him if the if the referendum fails, fails to mm -hmm. support um, Cameron. Um, uh, so the, the party is split. Not only that, they are being outbid on the right by um, the United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP, and Nigel Farage, and a variety of people um, who are um, very much uh, feeling that um, the European Union isn't what uh, the UK originally joined, um, that it's bureaucratic, um, that uh, it doesn't serve British interests. And so the referendum is partly the result of um, machinations at the top, but there's also a deep-seated um, unease, I think, um, and that's reflected in the polls. Um, uh, questions with regard to sovereignty, questions with regard to immigration, questions with regard to economy are all wrapped up in this referendum. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, one thing to remember about referenda is that they tend to favor the status quo and sometimes oversimplify important issues. Yep. Do you think the outcome of this referendum, whether it's stay 
or leave um, will be an accurate reflection of what the British people want? Wow, that's a great question, actually, as it goes to the heart of... Because um, on the one hand, referenda are direct democracy, right? So mm -hmm. the, the, the intuitive answer to that is that it's direct democracy, therefore it's a great thing. Um, you're actually asking the people. But you can't avoid uh, simplistic questions. And in fact, arguably, you shouldn't, because the more complicated they are, the more difficult and opaque they are mm -hmm. um, to answer. And so you're, I think, in this context you will get a reflection of what the British people want. But whether that's actually a sensible answer, that's another question. And you know what? When you say remain, Cameron's saying remain in a reformed mm -hmm. um, EU. I don't buy that. Um, he's going to be in a very weak position. What was bargained for was not a huge amount of change. And in any case, the EU is this multi-variable um, uh, thing um, the EU isn't in the euro, as, men, as was mentioned, but it's not in Schengen either. So people movement isn't as free to the UK as elsewhere. On the other hand, leave, my goodness, um, you can say leave, um, but it's a bit Hotel California because you can't, sorry, that's an old reference, but uh, they, it's not easy to leave. This is Article 50 that will come in. Um, a, a state is allowed to um, withdraw. Um, but there'll be a nego negotiation. Um, after two years, um, treaties, the treaty will cease to apply to the UK. But in the meantime, nobody really knows what the bargaining will be like. And I don't think many people really know what the, um, uh, uh, you know, what the status of the UK will be. All of the trade relations that the UK has right now are mediated through the EU. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there's a variety of other areas where the, e the EU is less important to the, to the UK. And in fact, migration is one of those. But it's, it's a tremendously big, um, multifaceted decision. At the same time, I think it's right to ask one way or the other. And, and, and it's, I think um, what I would like to see is people taking this seriously. And I think right now the British people are, from what I've seen. Mm. Thank you. That was a great answer. Yeah, and we have touched on this a little bit, but I just w I think it's worth clarifying the two sides and their motivations. Mm. So those in favor of remaining in the EU argue that leaving will harm the British economy by driving international businesses and investment out of the country. Team Leave argues that while leaving would have short-term economic costs, ultimately it would result in Britain regaining control of its domestic and foreign policy. Now, could you give us an idea of the rationale behind each argument? Yeah. Okay. So, um, ah, my goodness. The uh, no, but, but again, uh, complicated, right? I, I just sure. said that trade relations um, uh, are, are mediated um, through the European Union. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the economic integration is huge in terms of rules. It's huge in terms of about fifty percent, somewhere around fifty percent of of Britain's. Um, trade and investment relations uh, are with the EU. So it's it's a tremendously important relationship. And in that context, um, the benefit that, that, that the UK derives from membership is, is significant. Um, and to break that would be more, I think, than a, um, a short-term cost. The problem with any um, leave argument that's made is pretty much any leave argument reconstructs relations with the EU. Um, there's all this talk of relations being like Norway or Switzerland. 
Well, basically, that argument is ridiculous because mm. that's that. No, it is. It's ridiculous from the Leave side because mm. that um, makes the e the UK essentially um, uh, uh, the in the position where they have to accept EU rules without a vote. Mm -hmm. You'd be worse off than being yeah. inside. Now, on the on the on the on the Leave side, saying. Um, that it's uh, uh, it, it would be uh, a, a moderate mm -hmm. thing. Um, I think there's an argument there that you know um, uh, on foreign and security policy, um, it's not going to be great for um, stability. It's going to kick up a lot of dust in the EU. Um, it's not, I think, going to improve relations with of the UK with. Canada or the US or any of that. That's that's all rubbish. Um, uh, but will it be disastrous for the UK? I, I don't think. Will it wreck NATO? No, not at all. Um, uh, so so I think there's a there's a bit of hyperbole, more than a bit of hyperbole on both sides. Um, you know, fear mongering. Nobody wants to say on either of these campaigns. Well, the day after on the 24th, the world's going to look pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I would say, and I'm not in the prediction business, I don't do that. But I, and I guess, but I guess I am on a simple ground, uh, uh, pretty uh, uh, clear ground right now because it's already happening. Mm. Sterling will drop considerably, okay. or it already has um, today and yesterday. It was it was down in the markets. Mm. Um, uh, the now having said that, it may be priced in before the the referendum, and so. Who knows? But it. But in the meantime, I think from now until the referendum, there will be concerns about it, and 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 the the, the value of sterling will go down. Well, thank you. That was very interesting. And uh, before we go any further, let's take a short break. We'll be right back with more on Brexit. You're listening to Policy Talks, recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, check out www.policytalkspodcast.com. And we're back with Professor Long speaking about the UK's decision to stay or leave the EU. Now, we just covered the two camps, remain and leave, and uh, let's shift gears a bit and look at the big picture. Okay. So one of the larger questions raised by this Brexit is whether or not the EU is still relevant as an institution in today's global climate. In 2004, the IMF said the EU had a nominal GDP of 18.5 trillion US dollars uh, in 2014, that is. Um, it is one of the world's leading e uh, economies. However, as we know, the EU has recently been plagued with financial and political challenges. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the EU has still has value? Oh, uh, uh, sorry. I Yes. Uh, no, no, absolutely. Sorry. That, that's one of those things where um, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and I mean that um, in, in the sense of um, it's a significant actor, whatever you think of it. Um, it is a significant global player. Um, it's a um, aggregation of um, and as was just said earlier, 28 countries uh, includes four G7 countries, two permanent five members, and on and on. Um, it's a it's a very very important um, region. It's a regional actor. It's also important in the sense that 
the form of integration, um, while peculiar to the time and peculiar to the um, region itself, I, I don't think it can be transplanted to other places. Um, the form of democracy, um, economic openness, um, uh, rule of law, social policy um, is, is tremendously important. And to, uh, that doesn't mean uh, a country like the UK leaving um, is opting out of that at all but um, it, it is something uh, that uh, has shaped um, the global economy has shaped um, international relations more generally and has shaped the UK's role um, ever since the UK's been part of it. If I could just follow up on that a little bit so is there an area in particular you think the EU is most dominant uh, politically economically in defense matters? Yeah. Okay um, uh, I mentioned trade earlier on. Trade is by far the most uh, important. Um, competition policy as well. Uh, a variety of things to do with the, the single market. Um, uh, it, uh, however, has advanced um, uh, um, democracy and the rule of law um, through kind of mimetic um, uh, uh, progress through enlargement. Um, the, the idea of countries coming in, the, the 6 and then the 9 and the 10 and the 12 and the 15 and, and then the 20-odd, etc., now the 28, and on. Um, what that has meant is the inclusion of democratic, newly democratic countries and stable democratic countries, countries that are integrated into uh, a model of democracy and economic openness and observation of the rule of law. This has been tremendously uh, significant and that's the big part that the EU plays. The idea of the EU playing a defense role? Hmm, uh, that's overdone. Again, that's one of those things that the Brexit people are very fond of, you know, uh, the scare tactics on, there's a European army coming, but no, no, no. In fact, if anything, it's rather the reverse. The EU is, if anything, rather feeble uh, on, uh, on defense matters. Um, my good friend, the EU ambassador, would hate me for saying that. <laughs> um, uh, but what I mean by that is, um, certainly on collective defense, um, uh, um, it's a national prerogative and it's done by NATO and all power to the EU states and, um, and the US, Turkey, Canada and all the other non-EU states who are members of NATO um, for doing it that way. It's worked very well. Um, EU activity in security policy, there, there are a few things. Um, activities in Africa, a few missions, peacekeeping missions and so on. Low-level things, but, uh, uh, but not as significant, but a contribution nevertheless. Well, uh, I think this is a natural follow-up to that, but we talked about the EU as being a model for uh, integration, mm. and we've got some examples here, uh, the African Union and Mercosur. Yep. So do you think the EU should be used as a model of integration? Yes and no. Um, the idea that you should have uh, some sort of regional arrangement, yes, I think that's absolutely the case, although it has to be premised on uh, mutual uh, agreement and, and, and cooperation, um, otherwise, it's an empire. Um, uh, what I would say on the no side is if you think you're going to have um, uh, an arrangement where you'll have something like the European Commission or the European Court, for instance, um, that oversees um, uh, a legal system which has direct effect in uh, member countries on a number of issues, um, uh, the, the specifics of EU integration are quite specific to the EU. And I think trying to copy that is not such a good idea. Now, what's been uh, more successful is the attempt to have free trade areas. 
and customs unions and, and so on. That's, that's possibly more uh, uh, sensible. But even there, um, I think it's evident from the EU that in some ways it's the policy and politics, it's, it's the law it's the idea of a community of law in the EU that really matters. And being able to have economic openness follows from harmonization that everybody agrees to, following from that. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the rhetoric that we've been hearing during this campaign, okay. um, especially from the Leave campaign. And a lot of it's re revolving around, as you kind of mentioned early, securing the UK border. And that implies that the EU borders are not quite secure enough. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, whether you believe the Brexit would have a positive or negative impact on UK security as a whole. Do you believe that Brexit would affect the ability of the UK to maintain its security alliances with EU members? Okay. Um, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer this about borders and people and security yeah, rather than absolutely. the border. Because there's lots of things to do with security that, that I mentioned with regard to NATO and, and other things. Mm -hmm. Look, um, everybody knows that um, the European Union has had a terrible time in the last while with the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, um, oh, the relationship with the Turkey right now mm -hmm. and the agreement is, I mean, it's almost, I don't want to call Erdogan a devil, but it's almost doing a deal with the devil. Um, uh, certainly an oppressor. Um, uh, uh, so the EU is having problems. Um, so there's a refugee crisis. There's a perception that free movement, um, whether in Schengen or more generally allowing people to move around the EU, right of residence and so on, has led to, um, uh, you know, tons and tons of uh, uh, people from particularly in the British context, some xenophobes, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, point to, you know, uh, Polish plumber and Latvian this and, and Turkish that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, as, uh, as I've just mentioned, I think there's a certain um, uh, xenophobic tendency to that. Now, there's, 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 a, there's also a truth, which is there are people moving. Um, uh, I think by last count, um, the net migration to the UK was around 300,000 people a year. Um, so that's, that's pretty large, although uh, just to put in context, not that much larger than we get, we've been getting in Canada lately. Um, uh, and just do the comparison on the, the, the numbers of, uh, in the country originally. Um, what's important to point out on saying those numbers, though, and the, those numbers are one of, the, one of the two numbers that the Leave campaign likes to cite. The uh, number of people coming in is one. The cost of the EU per day is another. Okay, on the numbers of people coming in, um, only about a half to un a little bit under a half are EU citizens. The rest are non-EU citizens. And there's two things to say about that with regard to leave. One, unless you're going to shut down your economy completely in terms of trade, in terms of investment, in terms of the global economy, you're always going to have people coming in to, to the economy. And so that's going to happen from non-EU countries may increase from some. Um, that may be something you're encouraging. It may be something you want to discourage. If you talk to some of the Leave campaign, they want to reduce the number to, of net migrants to around 40,000 or something, which is going to be very interesting. The, the, the other thing to say is um, uh, that the EU as a mechanism um, 
it has allowed migration um, to to increase to some degree, but I really don't think it's going to make that big a difference. In fact, one wag said uh, one of the results might be um, that while migrants who've been coming through um, uh, refugees often who've been coming through Europe have ended up on one side of the British Channel in France and have basically been stuck there. What would happen if Britain left the EU is the border would in fact be on the other side. That is to say they'd, the, the French would no longer have any necessary reason to leave these people on their side. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah. And and so uh, all of this is, again, it's another one of these things where things are complicated, right? Mm. I would also say governments and political parties don't like admitting when policies don't work. And I personally um, don't think immigration policy works a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is borders are always porous. Um, they're porous because of trade. They're porous because of people moving. They're porous because ultimately... Um, uh, they're artificial uh, in the face of those two things, the economy and, and people moving. And and so this idea that you'd be able to prevent this, is, uh, I think, just false. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's perfectly understandable. And I think um, a natural tie-in to the issue of the border security here is uh, sovereignty. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, th this, I, I said numbers, the other the other talisman for, for leave. And if I'm sounding... Negative. I mean, I, 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 uh, on the Leave side, I would say I I can't vote because I've been out of the country too long to be able to vote as a British. I'm a British citizen, expat. But uh, if I could vote, I would definitely vote Remain. I I've been gentle in encouraging my friends and relations to do so, but I would do. I would encourage them to vote Remain. Um, on sovereignty, um, the 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 Brexit Leave people figure they own sovereignty. Um, that is to say, we'll get our sovereignty back. Um, this is getting uh, Britain um, uh, restoring British democracy, uh, you know, home of home of parliaments and democracy and so on. I, I, that's a, a common misunderstanding, but a fundamental misunderstanding of mm -hmm. sovereignty in the European Union. Um, the EU is not a super state, um, will not be a super state anytime soon, is not headed to being a super state. Um, it's a, uh, an, a, an agreement among sovereign states in which the decision of those sovereign states, the idea that you can actually make the bargain that Cameron is talking about is based on sovereignty. The idea that you can withdraw is based on sovereignty. The UK has sovereignty right now. It's expressing its sovereignty through membership in the, e the European Union. Arguably, it, acting in concert with other members of the EU, it's actually expressing sovereignty even more strongly, whereas on its own, while an important economy and an important player in global affairs, the UK would have less influence globally. Okay, well, thank you. And uh, if the Leave campaign does win, yeah. what do you see the long-term consequences might be for Britain? Okay, um, um, I have no idea, actually. <laughs> and, I, and I think anybody that tells you that they do uh, are, are lying. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm of the school of thought that um, generally people tend to have an interest in exaggerating what's likely to happen, you know, uh, remain. We'll want people to think that if we leave, it's going to make everybody... You know, uh, in 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 sort of barefoot and you know, poor and whatever. Um, whereas leave um, are trying to tell you that remain will be in a super state. Um, 
I think if we if there is a a leave vote, and let me say right now it looks like um, it's going to be close, but the polls I've seen lately it look, looks like there will be um, a, a vote to leave. Um, uh, I don't know that there will be a huge amount of difference afterwards, and I think it, there will be transition for sure. Um, but ultimately, a lot of these relationships will have to be re um, rebuilt up. And mm -hmm. the idea that you wouldn't work with other European countries is preposterous to me. Um, it's in everybody's interest that you do so. Now, in the meantime, that um, huh, that negotiation under Article 50, nobody knows what that's going to be like. There wasn't an Article 50 until, that is to say, there wasn't an exit clause until um, Lisbon. Nobody knows what it's going to be like uh, in terms of negotiating. Even once you negotiate, that's the principles on which you might leave. It's not the actual agreement once you leave. So you'd have to negotiate all of the various other things afterwards. I think the EU would be in its, uh, it would be within its rights. Certain countries have been their rights to make it very difficult. Um, at the same time, it might precipitate other leaving. Um, uh, I don't think it's likely um, that major countries, sorry, major countries would leave um, and don't expect um, countries like Greece to leave, for mm -hmm. instance. The, the fact that they didn't is very indicative of something which the EU is an important contributor to a number of economies. While people in Britain say, ah, we're paying in. Well, for a lot of countries, they receive a heck of a lot. And Greece has been nailed by austerity policies and, and, and the like, and it's been very serious. But for the longest time, they've actually done very well out of the European Union in a number of ways. And that's why, for instance, Serbia wants to join. Mm -hmm. That's why um, Montenegro wants to join. That's why Turkey wants to join. Mm -hmm. However, um, there may be some of the, the major countries might think twice about relations within the EU. Um, I can see encouraging uh, the more nationalist party that's in play in, in in power i should say in poland for instance um something on of that nature in spain maybe i mean i'm i'm, I'm conjecturing here but uh, the other thing that might happen is is other secessionist um things yeah. okay um so there's a concept you may be familiar with that's that is actually originally a psychological concept put forward by Freud, the narcissism of small differences. Yep. So for our listeners that might not be familiar with the theory, it states that as globalization progresses, it effectively makes people across the globe more similar. So individuals and groups will cling to those differences that do exist rather than assimilate. Um, some scholars suggest that this explains the rise of nationalist movements in sync with globalization um, do you think this theory has some merit in the context of Brexit? Um, if so, should interconnectedness be embraced or resisted? Um, I think this is um, this is very important. Um, uh, I think it is. I mean, in terms of globalization, yes. I think this um, m makes the phenomenon m more salient. But I think it's been there uh, before. Uh, the latest wave of globalization. I'll give you an example. Um, um, we're talking about Brexit right now. Um, a lot of people, certainly when I was growing up, and you'll hear it now, a lot of the, the Leave campaign, the idea that Britain is in Europe. No, 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 no. Europe is somewhere you go. Okay. And, and maybe for a lot of people, 
um, in the UK, it's tremendously different. And of course, there's linguistic differences and so on and so forth. And there are some political differences, cultural differences, right? They, you know, they take their beer warm in the UK. Um, that, that type of thing, right? And they eat unbelievable things like Marmite. Very um, true. Uh, in any case, um, uh, there are differences, but they're actually very small. I've said rule of law, economic openness, democracy, um, a whole lot of things to do with history, even shared things like wars, for goodness sake. Um, there's a number of things that uh, Brits have in common um, with, with Europeans. And just to say, um, maybe also with North Americans. Um, but there's a difference there, though. It tends to be, you know, you, uh, one of the things you'll hear from uh, from some of the Leave campaign is, oh, well, we're closer to um, North Americans. There's a linguistic similarity and then historical similarity and so on. And then that, I think, uh, exaggerates the similarities sometimes. We're, you know, united by, uh, sorry, divided by a common language, uh, I would say, uh, I think it was short is quoted as saying and then again think about it if you actually have a question like crimea which side do which side do the uk germany france and so on where do they fall on the south china sea if that ever actually does blow up imagine which side of these are they going to fall on there may be strategic as there are strategically different approaches but ultimately, there's going to be a very similar approach. And that's based because these countries actually share a lot of interests together. At the same time, they are so close that they're, you know, tomorrow you'll see um, a game, if you like football, as I call it, soccer, mm -hmm. you, you might watch a game between Austria and Hungary. And there's already jokes out there about, you know, Austria, Hungary. Well, who, so who's it against? <laughs> um, uh, but but believe me, they they love um, accentuating the differences. Mm -hmm. um, when the Danes are beating the Germans, um, they had a brilliant European joke, uh, or to my mind, a brilliant joke. Um, uh, at the time, the Danes were having a referendum, and the Danish team beat the German team, and of course, the Germans are a great um, soccer nation. And uh, the Danes celebrated, saying, "If you can't join them." Beat them. <laughs> Reversing the usual. If you can't beat them, join them. I do. All right. Well, thank you very much. And just to, just as a final question here, yeah. what do you think the outcome of next week will be? So we're asking you to go back on your. Yeah, I know, yeah I know. I exactly. know. Am I allowed to say I no? I, 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 I'm going to say it will be remain. Okay. I, and I'm going to be wrong. Um, <laughs> I, 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 there's the status quo bias, mm. right? And 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 people tend to vote in favor of those things. The argument against that, however, and we should know this in Canada, mm. um, just because political leaders, the whole leadership, as is true, right? The leaders, the leaders of each of the political parties are saying stay. Yep. It's the it's the, the 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 other people within their parties that that are saying no. The only one that isn't isn't Nigel Farage who's very much outside of the mainstream um, we do know that when political leaders say jump often the population will say well no and I'd rather so, sit down yeah exactly. that's right I'd, I, and so I'd rather leave than remain <laughs> um, uh, so I, 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 I but I'm as I said tr polls are trending towards leave so I really should say that the social scientist in me is saying that I should. 
However, I really do think that there's a sense in which we may have... Uh, the, the Remain campaign has been ahead pretty mm -hmm. much the entire campaign. Um, uh, maybe Cameron is going to do what he did with the Scottish referendum, which mm -hmm. is take us right to the brink of disintegration, but not quite there. What well, do you think? You got to keep them on their toes, eh? Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't <laughs> think that's what Cameron's done. I think he's, uh, you know, he made a campaign commitment, so it was difficult to avoid it. But mm -hmm. um, I think he shouldn't have made that campaign commitment in the first place. I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, it was a very serious error on his part. Mm -hmm. Tony Blair um, uh, did something similar about the euro and never got to the referendum. And I think that was smart. And I think that tells you something about political skill on the one hand. Well, that's all the time that we have today. Thank you very much, Professor Long. This is certainly not an easy decision for the UK, and it will be interesting to see the results of the referendum on the 23rd. Thanks again for your insight. You're welcome. And I guess we'll uh, see what happens on the 23rd. We will. You can come me back again. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Policy Talks. Stay tuned for the next episode with Mitch Robotai and Mel Kamakanakan. A quick thanks to our research team who put this all together. Mark Haken, Samantha Nickel, Pamela Kinga, Supervisor Emily Vallet-Watt and our producer Joe Venkatesh. For more episodes, you can find us at www.policytalkspodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Nicole Halseth, and I'm Josh Beanlands. This is Policy Talks. Yeah, thank you very much for coming, and that was yeah. fantastic.